The reading today comes from Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 41 and going through until chapter 6, verse 7. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The choosing of the seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. This week is the third and final week of our launch series for this year, where we refresh our awareness of what our vision is as a church, what we have set ourselves in the, the shorter and the medium and the longer term, and uh, the, the reference point in light of which our other big decisions uh, are intended to make sense. And our vision, our tenure vision, is to be an overflowing church. And as I've said, each week we have our, our, our longer tenure vision statement, but it can be summarised by saying that we're a church that seeks to overflow in joy as we respond to God's love for us in Christ, uh, in impact as we bless those in the community in which God has placed us uh, as befits disciples of Christ, and in growth, as we are hospitable, as we welcome more and more people to join our congregations and to encounter Christ for themselves. And last week, we were looking at our one-year goal, just our focus for this year, for 2024. And we saw that uh, the intention is that at St. James in 2024, we will be courageous ambassadors for Christ in all of life. Each of us will take a new step to represent Jesus where we live, work or study, and every growth group will have stories that celebrate this. 
And I really I look forward to real personal transformation in the light of this uh, in the year ahead. And today our focus, as we conclude the series, is uh, more generally growing as a church. And particularly, our intention to start a new congregation, an extra regular weekly gathering. But let me start in a slightly different place. Uh, as our regulars know, it's in James, one of our deep convictions is that the Bible is the word of God. It's the most precious thing that we have as his people. And we seek to be a biblically faithful church. We open the Bible for guidance in who we should be and what we should believe and what we should do. And yet, a lot of stuff goes on at St. James that you don't find in the Bible. Where in the Bible do you have um, playgroups? Where in the Bible do you have morning tea or alpha courses or youth groups, etc., etc., etc.? And you kind of think of that for a moment and you say, well, yes, but, but of course, as Christians have always known, including us, the great priority is to proclaim God's word, is to help people understand who Jesus is so that they can put their trust in him. And with that clearly set before us, Christians have always been uh, innovative and flexible in designing structures and programs that facilitate this like youth groups. And also, Christians have always been willing to, to change and adapt and modify those structures in order to facilitate missional growth. And we're going to look at an example of that this morning. I'm going to make three points. Firstly, facilitating growth. Secondly, willingness to grow. And thirdly, overflowing growth. Facilitating growth, willingness to grow, overflowing growth. Well, as we think about facilitating growth, I want to take us to our Bible reading from, uh, from Acts, especially Acts chapter 6. This is an exciting time in the history of, of God's people. The very earliest months after the resurrection of Jesus, after the great events of Pentecost, when his people dramatically experienced the outpouring and the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. And the apostles have been preaching in Jerusalem and revival is breaking out the number of people coming to Christian faith is uh, is increasing by the day and so they're scrambling a bit to develop structures and systems to cope with all the growth and one of their programs is uh, an opportunity for people to contribute donations which the Apostles themselves the 12 would then distribute to the needy and the vulnerable it reflects the, the character and the life, in fact, of Jesus himself. It's a, a profoundly Christian activity. And they're doing this. A large proportion of those who are vulnerable and on the receiving end of this program are widows. It's a great ministry of care. But a problem has arisen. And for us to understand this, I need to give you a, a bit of background. As you may know, at this point, almost all Christians are Jewish. They're converts from Judaism. But what you may not know is that Judaism at this point in history falls into two large categories. 
There are, there are the local Palestinian Jews. These are people who, who understood and even, even spoke Hebrew and who used the Hebrew scriptures. But there's another subculture within Judaism, and that's uh, all over the Roman Empire. There were Jewish communities, it's Jewish synagogues in all the major cities and towns. And so Jews who'd, who'd grown up in those places typically wouldn't know Hebrew, they wouldn't understand it. They would speak Greek, and they would use a Greek translation of the scriptures. And these two groups were known as Hebraic Jews and Hellenistic Jews. And converts from both of these subcultures were in the church in Jerusalem. And so we read in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this problem is solvable. But that would involve far more attention than the apostles are currently giving to this program. And so they're faced with a choice of how best to use their time. The account goes on. The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit <clears throat> and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this is interesting to me. This has obviously been a very hands-on ministry by the twelve. They even describe it as waiting on tables. And... Uh, at the same time, they have complete clarity about their own priority for where their time and energy should be going. They declare it, prayer and the ministry of the word. And I should say, as a bit of a footnote actually, <clears throat> I'm always struck by this, that they see prayer as a key part of the work that they have to do as leaders of the church. So much so that, they, that they'll say, we can't invest more in that program, it will impinge on our time to pray as well as on our time to proclaim and explain God's word. Uh, some of you with, with uh, longer memories will know that my predecessor at St. James, uh, Barry, he was a great man of prayer, and he would regularly sum up his role at St. James as prayer and the ministry of the word. And when I began at St. James, uh, our then administrator, a wonderful woman called Lalani, she could be a bit unfiltered at times, and she, she said to me once, she said, oh, Alan, <clears throat> sometimes when I, when I came into the office, I would interrupt Barry praying. That never happens with you. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll take that as a prompt from the Lord. Um, be that as it may, uh, they see a, a, a priority decision to be made about where their time will go. Solving this problem themselves would require less time in prayer and word ministry. And so they propose handing the task entirely to others. We read on. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith 
and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The plan meets with general approval and the right people are taken, uh, 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 found to take over. And it's interesting their credentials. And it's not just choose good administrators or choose people with time on their hands. People are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It, I do wonder, as someone who's you know, spent so much time in church life, there's general approval. I wonder whether some people weren't a bit disappointed, whether there were some of the widows, perhaps, among the group who they used to like it when one of the apostles, you know, when Matthew himself handed over the food and they'd say, tell us again that story about when our Lord had the loaves and fishes and you got to hand those out. That would have been great. Well, that, for all sorts of good reasons, the apostles step out and uh, these other people step in. And notice this. The way the outcome is described here is very significant. The account doesn't finish by saying, and therefore, no groups of widows were overlooked anymore and the tensions were resolved. I mean, that, that's the primary issue, right? But rather, the more important consequence uh, is drawn to our attention. The word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And it's a great affirmation of the decision that the, the apostles and the wider fellowship made. It could have been solved two ways. The apostles could have devoted more attention to distributing the food and less to, the prayer, to prayer and the ministry of the word. Or they could have handed it over entirely and given more attention to prayer and the word, which of course they did. They chose to solve it in a way that would prioritise the ongoing proclamation of the gospel. And that led to growth. And I have to say, as a, as a pastor, I'm very impressed with the church support for that when uh, the apostles suggest changing their role in that way. Well, that's facilitating growth. But my next point is willingness to grow. If you go back to our, our vision statement, which has those, those three paragraphs, uh, joy, impact and growth, a part of it that's always impressed me deeply is the, the growth section, and it does remind me of Acts chapter 6. It says this, As we live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we will make room to include more people of all ages and situations reflecting the richness of the inner West. We'll encourage and involve the young in our church life. Our joyful commitment to Jesus' mission will be seen in our willingness to grow. It's an insightful comment as we welcome increasing numbers of newcomers and new believers into our widening congregations. This is such an important statement. It, it's not just saying three cheers for growth. It's saying we will make room. We will do what is needed in order that growth might happen. We'll shove over. We'll put up with inconvenience even sacrifice, our willingness to grow will be seen. We will make room. And it's because of our commitment to Jesus' mission and all that entails in the ongoing life of a church, roles evolving, structures changing, 
program starting and finishing. But we'll only be able to do this with joy if we're clear on the priority of gospel mission, of Jesus' mission, to seek and save the lost. We can't just say, of our many commitments as a church, we want to keep an eye on proclaiming Christ. It has to be our top priority, or other things will just, will just naturally eclipse it without us intending them to. One of my, uh, my favourite quotes, I shared this before some years ago, it's from a, a church growth consultant called uh, Walter Kayser. He says this, he says, if we say we're here to serve insiders and outsiders equally, you may be sure that our congregation will wind up hopelessly focused inward. And he's speaking to Christian leaders here. He says, the needs of those inside the congregation are the ones that will always be in your face. Why don't we ever sing my favourite songs? Why didn't someone visit me when I was sick? Why don't we have a children's club for my third grader? He goes on, however, no one will ever march down the street from the neighbourhood and pound on the pastor's office door and demand, why haven't you started making disciples of Jesus Christ on my block? If we fail to put both intention and resources behind the mission of serving others before ourselves, we will not escape the gravitational force of inwardness. It's a good insight. That is, you tend to respond to the needs that are kind of obvious in front of you. And so unless we collectively say, no, no, what about the needs that are invisible to us as we sit here on a Sunday morning, we think, oh, good numbers. What about, what about all those who are strangers to Christ? What about that great need? Now, this is not a new idea at St. James, I'm delighted to say. And our history is full of really quite bold initiatives in, uh, in making room for the sake of missional growth. I mean, those with longer memories at St. James and I will be able to say, we used to, have, we used to have one morning congregation. And then we started a second in order to make room. We started a 7 p.m. congregation. Not because we were too full, but because it was a missional initiative. We started a 5 p.m. congregation. All of these things were disruptive. All of these things were costly in various ways. But they were all expressive of a willingness to grow. A willingness to make room. Just brilliant. We need that willingness to grow. But my final point is about overflowing growth and where it comes from. See, what form might growth take at St. James in 2024? Our overall, our overall 10-year vision uh, invited us to set four big objectives to accomplish in three years' time, by the end of 2025, as it is now. And I think perhaps the boldest of them was this. In three years' time, we'll be bedding down a new congregation planted with a core of St. James regulars and planning for our next one. Boldness. Now, the idea of this is not, oh, we'll be so full by then that we'll, we'll need a pressure valve for all the extra people. On the contrary, this was seen as a strategy in itself, starting something new that would, would, uh, would require a sacrifice on our part, an initiative and prayerfulness. 
and, uh, and liberate imagination and creativity, connect with new people. Uh, the missiologist C. Peter Wagner says this, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. He's basically summarizing the consensus of researchers in this area. Now, this is, this is exciting to me. We announced this goal in second half of, of, uh, of 2022 without any clear idea of how this could possibly come about. And then quite unexpectedly, some months later, at the end of 2022, I took a phone call from St. Luke's Concord Burwood, our neighbours. They had become quite small, one congregation on a Sunday, a couple of dozen people. They had no rector, and they couldn't afford to employ a new full-time rector. And they asked me if I would assume oversight of their parish. And then throughout last year, throughout 2023, they went on quite a tough process as, uh, as a fellowship. And eventually, uh, just after the middle of the year, they decided to ask St. James if they could merge with us, if we would be open to that. And because we had this vision, they asked to merge with us on the understanding that we would start at some point a new missional congregation at St. Luke's, while also maintaining their current ministry pattern. And actually, I'm glad of the opportunity to clarify this. I've encouraged St. James people to, to pop in over there, and some people said, oh, do you want people to, to join St. Luke's? Uh, that, that's not the idea. The idea is not go to the existing service and try to reinvigorate it, turn it around. Our vision is that we will start a new congregation in the fullness of time, launched from a core of people from St. James. But this would mean change for the sake of mission. It will mean change for the people at St. Luke's. And they understand that. They, they're assuming they'll have to change their current service time, for example, and other things as well, no doubt. It means from our perspective that we'll need to find a new minister to join our team who will lead us in this work and oversee what's going on at St. Luke's. Now, here's the thing. St. Luke's can't afford a new minister out of their offertories. And you know what? Nor can we, based on our previous budgets. We weren't thinking, what are we going to do with this spare $100,000? And our parish council late last year in budget season, they prayerfully considered the opportunity and they decided to go for it. They set a higher budget than we have ever had at St. James. Now, in his great providence, the Lord brought Blake to us. Do you know what Blake did in his previous role at Bondi? He planted a new missional congregation in a second building that the parish owned. He's perfect. <laughs> He's perfect. And so one of the ways now that we as a church are being called on to make room to grow is in our budget. And so I want, to, I want to call on you to consider increasing your financial support for St. James as a way of participating in this project, as a way of making room to grow, as a reflection of our, our willingness to grow. That this is what it looks like. 
It's a crucial part of your participation in this great work of overflow. Now, Blake is currently serving pretty much 50% at St. James and 50% at St. Luke's. Uh, just for your awareness, at an official administrative level, the, the, the merge, the amalgamation, uh, is, becomes effective on July the 1st of this year. But functionally, the big change is not July the 1st. Uh, the big change will be planting this new congregation, and that will happen in stages. Stage one, which is where Blake is at now, is us getting to know him, getting a sense of who he is, building confidence in his leadership, him getting to know us, him getting to know the lay of the land in Croydon, Burwood, Concord, getting a, a sense, seeking to discern what the missional opportunities are and what the local cultures are and shaping a vision and shaping a plan. And then a subsequent stage will involve perhaps starting to have gatherings for those who want to hear more and who are open to maybe being directly involved in a new work, uh, conversations, people starting to consider perhaps being part of a launch team. And depending on how long those, those phases take, the day will come, I, I, I'd assume in the next 18 months, maybe less, when a new congregation begins. And that process, you know, that process will be costly for those who join it. And it will be costly for those who remain behind. In a sense, all of us will be making room and expressing our willingness to grow. Why would we inconvenience ourselves for such an uncertain project? Well, we know the answer. And it's because for our salvation, the Lord Jesus, who is so trustworthy, he did more than just inconvenience himself. His love for us went well beyond increasing his giving, as we can do. It went well beyond changing services, as we may do. It went all the way to the cross. Wonderful. For our salvation, for your salvation, and for mine. And we long for others to know his love as we do. That's why. That's why we would inconvenience ourselves. That's why we are willing to grow because of the preciousness of that news. Now, at some point in the next however long, a new congregation under Blake's leadership will start at St. Luke's, made of people from St. James. But as I say, our willingness to grow needs to be evident now. And that'll show up in all sorts of ways. Uh, crucially, it has to show up financially in our support but no less crucially, in our prayers. I hope, I hope you'll make this part of your daily prayer pattern, that you'll pray for this great work of God in our area. And in the prayers that we share together in growth groups, and that you'll, you'll come to our overflow prayer gatherings as we entrust this matter to the Lord in prayer. Well, we've been looking in this series over the past three weeks, at the future, St. James this year, St. James in the next 18 months, St. James in the next 10 years. But I want to finish with a story from the past. You excited? The year is 1894. St. Luke's Concord Bird is the church, 
And they decided to do a bold and quite unusual thing for a church in the Diocese of Sydney. They appoint to their ministry team a deaconess, uh, an extraordinary single woman called Sophie Newton. And one of her key uh, responsibilities is to start a Sunday school among the poor families on this side of Parramatta Road in Croydon. She does this in a cottage over near uh, where Burwood Girls now is, didn't exist at the time. Anyway, this work takes off, it flourishes, and she reports back to St Luke's uh, Concord that this community needs its own church. She casts a vision for this. And they're seized by it. They have a willingness to grow to such an extent that one person donates the 439 pounds required <clears throat> to buy a block of land on which the church will be built over in what they called Burwood East. I live on that block, by the way. The church, the church is established by, by St Luke's. In fact, they send their assistant minister to lead it. Sophie goes off to China as a missionary for the next 30 years. <laughs> they're, willing to, they're willing to grow. They make that sacrifice. Their, their assistant minister runs that church. Fast forward 100 years. The church building is quite small down there, St Peter's, as they've called it. And by this stage, it is, it's teeming, it's heaving. It's full of keen young families. The work is flourishing. It's vigorous. Meanwhile, further to the south, St James Croydon has fallen on harder times. It's languishing. It has a congregation which is getting smaller and getting older. And it's now beyond the congregation to maintain the, the buildings and the site. And the people at St Peter's make the costly and difficult decision because of their willingness to grow to merge with St James. And in fact, this for them will involve selling their church building and relocating Holus Bolus. A number of this noble generation are still at St James today. They can tell their own story. And this move in 1990 leads to the most extraordinary reinvigoration of St James beyond anything that anyone had contemplated. Basically, that merge is the reason that St James is the way we are today. And extraordinarily, St James is now in a position to reinvigorate St Luke's, where it all began 130 years ago. Just, just a remarkable, a remarkable sequence of uh, Anglican ministry in our local area. To launch a church back there, if we're willing. We looked at Acts chapter 6. The scholar um, Richard Longenecker says of Acts chapter 6 this, this is his reflection. The early church seems to have been prepared to adjust its procedures and alter its organisational structures and to develop new posts of responsibility in response to existing needs 
and for the sake of the ongoing proclamation of the word of God. So they were. And so are we. As our own vision statement says, may our joyful commitment to Jesus' mission be seen in our willingness to grow as we welcome increasing numbers of newcomers and new believers into our widening congregations. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we do thank you for that history of congregations of your people in this area being willing to grow, to make sacrifices, to relocate, to send out in order that other churches might grow and flourish. We thank you that you have brought us to this remarkable moment in your work in our area. And we pray that we may be found faithful in it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.